Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Entrepreneurs in Small Rooms Drinking Coffee. I'm Rob Kennedy, and I'm here with Elijah of Collage. How's it going, Elijah? It's going just swell today. How about you? Pretty good. For those, depending on when you're listening to this show, it was daylight savings <laughs> a couple hours ago or a couple days ago. So we're kind of like, blah, whatever. Um, uh, for, for those who haven't found out what collage is, because you've been in the news pretty much every day, uh, what does collage do? Collage is a HR and benefits platform for Canadian businesses. Um, so the, the insight here is that uh, most businesses manage their HR with like paper and gum and string and like whatever is lying around the office. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we built a platform that automates it and provides just a little bit of structure. So businesses that don't have an HR person or they have an administrative person who's super swamped, uh, this platform just makes it really easy to, you know, manage, provide a great experience for the employees, uh, and uh, and just be compliant and have structure and, and do a proper job of it. So how is it different than um, you know there are there are some platforms like Kin or whatever where yeah. where you can just manage your people in there. Yeah. So the the secret sauce here is that we uh, integrate benefits management into the platform. Um, so not only is that um, a great feature, and I can talk about that all day. I'm sure that's not what we're doing here, but. Uh, um, that also allows us to get paid. So we're an insurance broker and we make benefits commissions uh, whenever we help a company buy and manage a benefits plan. So those commissions are lucrative and they recur every year and it really mirrors a SaaS model mm -hmm. that a lot of companies strive uh, to achieve because for all sorts of reasons. Um, so we've combined this old you know, model of uh, making money from financial services with HR. There's a lot of uh, functionality that overlaps between them and it, it really makes sense as a product, it really makes sense as a business and it allows us to give away the product for free. right? So instead of charging for HR software, we're just giving it away. Uh, whether you use benefits with us or not, um, mm -hmm. come one, come all, like use our HR platform and uh, and and we'll see where it goes. And and so minus the sort of um, uh, sexual assault, it's basically uh, Zenefits for Canada? <laughs> yeah, we uh, for a while our tagline was Zenefits for Canada without the fraud. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> without the stairwells, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and so, Contrast those two markets because I mean, uh, you know, the American market, and the Canadian market, are quite different. Yeah. Um, why did it take you to come along and just be like, we should do this in Canada? Are the rules different between provinces? Because they are, but it's not like the states. Yeah, they're uh, the markets are similar between Canada and the U.S., but different in enough important ways that you can't just drop a U.S. product into the Canadian market and it would work. Um, I mean, even for markets like retail, like you see Target come up here yeah. and we all know how that story went, um, it's even harder in a regulated business. So, uh, you know, we have universal health care here, so our benefits plans look a little bit different. Uh, the commission structures are similar. Um, uh, and then the insurance the insurance market's different. So in the U.S. you have thousands of insurance companies that provide health benefits and medical benefits. Here we have 16. Mm -hmm. And three of them make up most of the market. Mm -hmm. So uh, another thing is like, uh, People talk about this as a regulated business a lot of the time, which it absolutely is. Uh, but I think the more powerful forces at hand is is more of the oligopoly, right? It's it's the 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 suppliers of insurance products that are really shaping the market, and mm -hmm. that's part of the challenge we have to deal with. Because they're they're crafting the policy, they're working the, pol yeah. the policy makers. They, they, have, they have a lot have of power, policy, and yeah. uh, they kind of make they set the rules, right? They um, they have a lot of market power. So, um, you know, when you it's it's funny because. There are certain businesses that are scary for startups. One of them is is healthcare or yeah. healthcare related uh, things and or insurance, and uh, and the other one is uh, finance. Yeah. Those things are heavily regulated. Uh, they have incumbents that are have deep pockets to ensure the regulations are mm -hmm. the same. Why why uh, would you want to tackle something like that? 
So I, we, on our team, especially in the early days, we always thought if this, and, and we went through a whole bunch of startup ideas in our mm -hmm. way to, to figuring this out, but um, whenever we were presented with a challenge like that, we saw that as a barrier to entry, which is good, right? If it's hard to do and there's work involved and complexity and confusion, if we can make it through that and make it simple, then we're creating a lot of value. Mm -hmm. So uh, we saw that as a good thing. Um, now, we don't want to go into a space uh, where the regulation is completely run wild and we have this crazy idea, like, for instance, peer-to-peer -peer insurance in Canada. Mm -hmm. Looked at that and was like, okay, well, a braver soul than I is going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not even sure that that business model works in other markets, and we'd have to kind of maybe go to jail, know, circumvent yeah. ins the insurance regulations right. uh, to do so. So, you know, I think that's a point where you go, hey, that's that's not worth risking our time and money on. But um, for us, the challenges of regulation in this business were enough to create a barrier, and the rules were opaque, and it was hard to figure out. But we saw that as like a, an opportunity to create value and. Once we're behind that curtain, then we can, you know, apply, you know, modern software principles to it and a modern consumer experience to this old industry and, and actually create something that could make a really big difference. So if, if I was a, if I was running, what size businesses do you guys typically target? Is it all sizes, our, medium, our small? Our core market would be like 10 to 80. Okay. Most of the, like, if you look at a standard distribution, that would be the center. Uh, That's we, probably the vast majority of businesses in Canada, I yeah, would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, most, most of the businesses in Canada are, are under 100 employees. And why that number? Uh, it's, I'm not exactly sure why it tops out at that end. We have some customers in like the 200, 500, 1,000 range, um, but they're just fewer. They usually have more complex needs, multiple offices in many jurisdictions. They have custom, you know, modules built for managing certain aspects mm. of their workforce. It gets a little more challenging. And they, they might already have software to manage this yeah, stuff they, in, a, in a wacky way. When, when you have 500 employees, you've you, got some probably like a you got some system. Or, uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. So then, so basically, if I'm a, a small or medium-sized company, I basically go to your website and then just like start. It's a SaaS, I'm yeah. assuming. Log in, and then if I have data, it's probably exported from Excel, and then I'm just. Yeah, exactly. We, we've built all sorts of ways to get your data into the platform. Mm -hmm. That's one of the challenges of, you know, our value proposition is all your HR data all in one place. In order to, for that to be true, you have we to have find to it. get all the yeah. data and put it in one place, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we've spent a lot of time figuring out the best ways to do that. Right. I don't think we've found the best way yet, but we're getting there. Um, so, you know, however your data is, we can configure it and get it in the platform, and you can get up and running really fast. Do people... Um I mean, everyone wants technology to help them. Do people see the value of this? I mean, maybe in the long run they do. They're like, yeah, once my data is there, it's great. But I mean, your competition, I imagine, is that's yeah, fine. Like, yeah. 10 people, it's an Excel spreadsheet. I'll add another column. Did they get benefits? And Bob's your uncle. Yeah, that, you know, that we certainly see that attitude of some people. Um, I don't mean attitude in a negative way. No, but no, no. But that's, you know, when, when you're a business owner and you have 10 employees, you're like, where's the I? next check coming? Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, you're not like, how can I optimize my HR flow? Is, is that not your biggest problem, which is getting people to get off their habit? Yeah, it's, it's you know, our, our, our product is free, but we're still asking our customers to pay us with their time. Yes. Which is, you know, getting the platform set up, changing the way they do things, learning something new. Uh, so it takes some mind space for them. With that being said, like our customers love our products. Yeah. Once, um, once you get them in. Once we get once we get them on, and, and some people just get it, and right. it's a very easy sale. Um, so I think you know it's a classic, it's like a crossing the chasm type thing. We're mm -hmm. in, we're in the early adopter stage, and some people are just like, gimme, like and, let me let me use it. And as an entrepreneur, I mean, you, you said you, you guys are licensed brokers. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in other things, like, I'm going to start a startup that has, you know, that 
takes over the the taxi industry. You don't need any weird licenses. You just you just you're, in, you're you happen to be in yeah. the taxi business or the technology business. In your case, you could almost argue you're in a brokerage that happens to be a technology company. Yeah. Is that weird from an entrepreneur perspective? You're like, I have to get an insurance broker's license? What the hell? So I chose not to. Yeah, um, okay. I, when we were starting this company, uh, you know, I, I did a startup before that didn't work out so well. And I was a solo founder. And I really learned the importance of a founding team. Um, and when you start a company, when you know you're not going to get venture capital for who knows how long, if not ever, and you don't know when your next check's going to come, you should really make sure the founding team is committed and that you can do all the things that you need to do to run the business. Mm -hmm. And for me, like I could have got my insurance license and tried to figure out this brokerage thing, but startups are hard and we wanted to make sure that this company grew really big. So the best way that I could ensure to do that was to actually like have a co-founder who was an experienced benefits professional who could help us navigate this world. Right. And like you're asking people to, you know, switch away from their existing broker who often is like a 30-year veteran in the industry. They have all sorts of contacts. They can get, you know, the best distribution from insurance companies. And why would they switch away from that to me because I have a, pl a software platform? Yes. Like we don't want them to give up that service right. in order to uh, have our experience. They should give up nothing. Right. And then they should get more value through our platform. So you know, I want to put a pin in the the you know your your pedigree and how you got here. <laughs> uh, uh, but before we do that, I, I want to address the point you just made, which is. Again, this, I think, is a good juxtaposition with the American market. Uh, my understanding of the Canadian market, especially in benefits, mm -hmm. it's, I know I know a guy. That It's like, well, do you need benefits? Do you need benefits? Uh, I know a guy. My wife knows a guy. My friend knows a guy. The last company I had, I used this guy. That That's kind of the competition you yeah. have. Not necessarily a deep and loyal love for the person. It's just like, ah, I have a guy for my insurance. I have a guy for my accounting. I have yeah. a guy for my whatever. Um, that's really what you're going up against, yeah. no? So does the, the your co-founder have um, a network they brought to it? Or is it like, how do you convince people to even think in this way? Because it's like, it's not fantastic, radical new technology, yeah. but it's technology and it's different. Yeah, well, I mean, he, my co-founder was a pretty well-known, um, his name is Peter. Uh, he's a pretty well-known uh, benefits expert in Ontario. Okay. Right? He speaks at lots of conferences. He teaches in the HR and benefits program at Humber College. Like he's pretty entrenched in this industry, so he certainly did bring bring a network to us. Was that important for you when you guys yeah, started? Absolutely. Yeah. Like, like think about how much easier it is to validate a customer base when you have easy access to customers, you know, people that he hadn't converted before. And you can say, Hey, I've talked to you about benefits in the past. How about with this platform? And people mm -hmm. are like, Yeah, that would move the needle for me. So that was an important step in our journey. Um, but I mean in, in terms of competing with uh, the guys, yeah. uh, I think that's actually a great market to compete against because they aren't, they're not sophisticated, you know, marketing companies. They're not doing all of the digital, they're not accessing all the digital channels that we are. Right. Um, they don't have a, again, a quasi consumer brand. They, a lot of them look the same. Right. And they're offering the same value, you know, you know, value added service, we're nicer, we're more attentive, we're, you know, whatever it is. Um, but we can really differentiate against that crowd. Mm -hmm. So. I love it. I think it's like, give me that market every time. Is is that working? I mean, I, I know it's somewhat early days and we'll get to where you're at now, yeah. but, uh, you know, it's it could be flashier. You guys have software and you have a better way of telling mm -hmm. your story and you're more sophisticated marketers. I've talked to startups who are like, you're, you're missing, like we had one on the show, Forwards, that was like a customer referral platform for Shopify. Yeah. It ends up that they didn't do well because... The, those merchants didn't understand the value of customer referral. Not because right. they were dumb, it's just that's not 
part of their wheelhouse. Um, are you finding that your message still resonates with them, even though they're not technologists per se? Or do you have to just get over that sort of hump and say, no, 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 we know benefits. Look how awesome the thing is. Do you have to like show it to them for them to understand the power yeah, of it? You, is it's, that... it's, a, it's a bit of a high-touch process. Like okay. we, we walk them through the platform, and we really show them how to use it. And I think our product is like beautiful and easy to use, and it's fairly intuitive. So most people get it when they see a demo. Um, and then on the benefits side, like there's all sorts of amazing anecdotes that have come up that we didn't even expect mm -hmm. when it comes to this platform. Like, it turns out that most of the people that uh, come onto the platform when we on onboard their data, their benefits data is like 20 to 30% wrong. Interesting. So they're insuring the wrong people. There's like someone who they fired a year ago who's still on full benefits coverage. With their so they family. could actually be saving money, not only yeah, not paying. You're anxious, saving money, and uh, and it's a huge liability to the employer. Like right. You're, what if they went on an Claim. expensive cancer drug and then yeah. next year your experience uh, is it makes your benefits uh, plan way more expensive? Right, right. So it's like it's getting to the point where it's not just the luxury to have this like pretty platform to manage your benefits. It's actually the responsible thing to do. And I think um, once we can properly communicate that to the broader market, this is there's going to be a huge kind of sucking noise in the market. Right. For people going, wow, I'm still managing a plan using a fairly irresponsible method, and I need a solution. So taking a quick step back to the point you made before, this is not your first uh, rodeo, to, in, in a sense. Yeah. You actually tried to the start, you're handed a startup before. I did. What, 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 what were you trying to do? I did. I, uh, I was in... And how the, long ago was this? This was in 2003. Okay. I was uh, 23 years old or 20, yes, yeah, something like that. So after the dot-com bus, but not, yeah. you know, before iPhone, before apps. So, sorry, I, did I say 2003? Yeah. It's okay. 20, 2013. Yes, okay. Not, I was like, wow, old, yeah. geez. I thought I, I was... Uh, okay. I, I look fantastic. Yeah, you look <laughs> yeah. better than me, man. Yeah. Uh, so no, this is yeah, 2013, um, and it's 2017 for depending on when you listen to the it's podcast. Early, it's early yeah. and it's snowy, so yes. my apologies. Uh, so yeah, it was 2013, and uh, I wanted to get into the startup game, and I had a lot of uh, I was full of piss and vinegar, and uh, I had this insight that um, retailers weren't customizing the communication from a store to me, the shopper, mm -hmm. very well, which is absolutely true. Um, so armed with a good insight and and a whole lot of buzzwords, uh, I launched a company. I outsourced some uh, development work without ever having designed or built a product before. Like, I was just so in over my head, mm -hmm. uh, and I was in a really tough market. Like, retail is a great market if you're good at it, um, but I had no real advantages. Mm -hmm. Right? It was just an idea. Um, so I did that for a couple of years, and uh, and then kind of wound that up when all you know, all methods were available to me were exhausted. When you um, when you say that, you mean like you ran out of money to keep going? Yeah. Is that what that meant? Yeah. Ran out of money and just like pivoted a couple times and you just get fatigue, right? Like right. failing at a startup that never even really gets off the ground is really tough on you. Um, yeah. And uh, I remember I spent this one winter, I had shoulder surgery, which was unrelated to the startup, but <laughs> uh, I had surgery and it was like winter and I was working on this thing that wasn't working and I couldn't move one of my arms very well. And I was like, I, I think I need to focus on something different and just wipe the slate totally clean start a business with the proper foundation, with the right people, with the right idea. Um, Do you think you needed the you needed to that sort of exercise to... For sure. Yeah. Um, maybe some entrepreneurs smarter than I don't need that, you know, f kind of failure moment. Um, I, I certainly did. I don't think there's... What, did you have, did you raise any money? Yeah, uh, I, I, raised, I raised $250,000 okay. from friends, friends and family, family, former clients. Um, and to, to tell them that the money's not coming back was, was not a Well, that's what I was going to ask yeah. you. So how, how do you, you know, how much of that was a, a stick 
uh, or a carrot, I should say, to keep going and not go back and say, okay, one, just, just one more thing. I'm going to try one more thing. Like, at what point do you say, that's it? You just know. <laughs> yeah. You just like know in in the the kind of the pit of your stomach that that there's no more. And I think too, there's a certain. Was it just in, you? Like, were you the old sole founder? It's sole founder. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which is also a lot of pressure because when yep. things don't work out, it's we, it's entirely on you. You can't say, "Well, we looked at the market and we <laughs> thought that this was good." Right. It's, Unless you're crazy, and me. then you yeah. can say that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all on me. So uh, that yeah, that wasn't the best, and I think. You know, all my investors were absolute saints through through everything. They're supportive when things were exciting. They're supportive when things weren't going great. And when it actually wound up, they're like, "That's you. You gave it a hell of a shot." So, yeah. How did you How did you show that to them? I mean, I think that I think that earlier stage investors, depending on their level of sophistication, should understand that that early of a stage, it's a it's a crapshoot. Yeah. Um, but how how do you um, you know? How did they know? <laughs> did you keep them apprised of what was going on, or did yeah. you just like disappear for a year and you came back and you're like, "Oops," <laughs> with golden teeth? No, no, I do have the golden teeth though. Yeah, so. I know it's pretty impressive. <laughs> Look, too bad this is a podcast. Yeah. It's very reflective. Yeah, yeah, uh, I wore them just for you. So. <laughs> uh, he became a rapper, in case <laughs> people don't know. No, I, uh, I, you know, I, I think I did an okay job of communicating, but I probably could have done better at that too, to be honest. Um, when things aren't going great, you know, human instinct isn't to share it for all the world right, to see. Right. Right. Uh, but at the end of the day, the people that invested in me at that early stage, at that young age, with no experience, were just making a bet on me. Right. And you know, it. I don't. I don't know if they were ever at the beginning. I, I did have capital, or I did have experience raising capital um, into risky companies. I used to work as a, for an investment banker mm -hmm. for early stage public companies. Mm -hmm. There's all this disclosure everywhere. It's like you will never get this money back. <laughs> probably, you know, there's no liquidity. There's no timeline for profitability. All this stuff. So, I was good. I was, like, I was trained. Words. <laughs> yeah, I was trained to say that. You know, like, yeah. do not invest in this startup idea if you know you have expectations of a return or a timeline or anything like that. Right. Um, so I it's think like those drug commercials. It's like you <laughs> might die by from the drug you take. Honestly, you might have the thing. You, you have heart attacks. You might get a heart attack from the drugs. Like okay, okay. Um, okay. So you so after you you kind of wound that down. Did you did you do any like did you have any assets to sell or did you just be like nope, moving on next. That's it. Okay. So how what did you do? Did you just sort of take a deep breath, take a job? What did you do? I got a. They, I remember this one moment where I got a call from a recruiter for um, this big private equity firm in Toronto. There's really only one big one that's not a government uh, fund, so you can probably imagine who it is. But um, they were like, "Hey, Kelsey like we, Steakhouse." That's my yes, guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Steakhouse Capital. That's exactly <laughs> right. Uh, so um, they were like, "Hey, we looked at your profile, and I had like you know CFA and associate investment banking, all this stuff on my resume." And and they're like, "Well, we we found you on LinkedIn, and we're recruiting for a position." And this is a prestigious job that in my previous life at out of business school, I would have been like, sign me up for that, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of went down that path a bit. And talking to the recruiter, um, they're like, doesn't really seem like you want to do this. Like I just, my at that point, I think I was fairly committed to the startup world and creating products and working in real companies. And at that point, I was like, you know what? I've learned so many hard lessons, it would be a shame to get back into a place where I can't really apply them. You don't think that like uh, a year or two of a hot, I'm assuming the job would have paid just fine. Yeah, it would have been fine. Uh, just kind of like uh, that kind of recovery would have been, would have been a, uh, you think it would have been a distraction maybe? Oh, it would have been totally therapeutic. Like okay. in, you know, in that stage where you're winding up a startup and you're like, what am I going to do with my life now? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, you kind of fantasize about just going to a job and getting a paycheck <laughs> and 
know, leaving on Friday and like that's that was an amazing thing to me. Mm -hmm. So I kind of I kind of liked it, but um, I just I, I couldn't do it. I don't know if I'm employable anymore. Like I just <laughs> I, I caught the bug and yeah, and I had to get so, back into it. So what did you do? Did you just be like, I know what I'll do. I'll start a benefit startup. Like <laughs> <laughs> instantly. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's weird. Like throughout my whole career, I've always ended up in places where I don't really belong. Like. I, when I went to business school, I thought I was going to be working at like a record label. That was like around the iPod time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I didn't know what was, I was young. I didn't know what was going to happen to record labels. Mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. I, I liked music a lot. And I was like, I'll go to business school. I'll work in the music industry. And that's going to be a great thing. Out of school, I ended up doing mining, investment banking. Right. Mm. So like, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. um, and the same thing has happened with benefits and HR. Like okay. he, I would have never guessed that I would have done this. Um, but coming out of that last startup, I was like, uh, can I manufacture a startup idea that has the potential to be really big that we can grow into a successful company? So you hear all these, you know, elegant, well-crafted stories of entrepreneurs, you know, like me in the retail store, where mm -hmm. you have this eureka moment and, or you, you solve your own problem, like, you, you know, the shop. So what you're saying, of, it doesn't happen that way? Is that what you're saying? Well, <laughs> I, I don't know how often it happens. I think a lot of those stories are kind of apocryphal. I think you're right. Um, at the end of the day, because the, you know, there's this whole thing about myth and startups. Um, so I'm actually very straightforward about saying there is no myth. Uh, this is, you know, something where uh, I, you know, did a lot of research into what kind of business I wanted to start and mm -hmm. what characteristics it should have, like the unit economics and it's B2B. I don't know. I, don't, I have no idea how to do consumer startups that sort of for braver men than I and women. Um, so it had to be B2B, had to have favorable economics, had to be in a space I understood had to have some sort of competitive mode that I could create instead of just an idea with code. Like, mm -hmm. that's not a mode. Mm -hmm. um, so I saw what was happening with Zenefits and Gusto and all these companies in the U.S. Um, where they were basically some of the fastest growing software startups of all time, mashing these industries together of HR, payroll, and benefits and creating new winners. Mm -hmm. um, and I just thought from, like, a business model perspective, it was so elegant that you could, you know, combine a financial services business with this technology and create extra value and um, and not charge your customers and make lots of money. Like it, I, I just fell in love with the business model. And then um, we decided to go and like build a company around it mm -hmm. and create the advantages along the way, right? Which is build the right founding team, which is right. when you have no money and capital and the connections, sometimes it's the only advantage you can have. Right. Is the people that are working on the business. Right. Um, so we put the right people together and then uh, went about just making the right connections and building the right product to get there. So do you think that you're, um, I mean, aside from you, you've got the, the fact that you've tried to, to run a startup once, do you think that your uh, uh, your background helped or it didn't really make a difference? It helped that you um, knew how to re do a financial statements and put all those disclosures, but it didn't really help you in the space other than that you're like, I know how to build a startup. I, th I think... I'd say the answer like, did you have an unfair no. advantage from from your from your investment banking from, from being in yeah. finance? Yeah, I wouldn't say in running an actual startup. Okay, it helps with raising capital. Oh yeah, because you know um, what to say. What, I, what they're I know, listening I know for. the words, right? Okay. If I if I'm in a room with investors, um, I can speak investor. Got it. Um, not as well as they can, of course, because sure. I had a little bit of experience. But I think it gives us some comfort I see. Um, that we kind of like speak the same language um, and just understanding, you know strategy of deploying capital and markets and like the way investors think about things is a little bit different sometimes. So did you, did you immediately, did you like, okay, I know I'm going to raise, is this one of those businesses that requires a capital Absolutely. investment? You knew that going in. If, yeah, it's pretty rare, I think, to um, build a SaaS business without capital. Right. If you just look at like the J curve of, I mean, probably 
I shouldn't use buzzwords like that, but okay. you, you look at, you know, in order to scale a SaaS business, you have to invest capital because mm-hmm. usually it takes a while for it to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular industry, um, we have a fairly fast payback given the commission structures for Canadian brokers, mm-hmm. but normal SaaS companies, you charge monthly, yep. but you have to, you know, pay up front to acquire a customer. Right. So scaling that without capital takes an awful long time. Right. Um, and a lot of the time your market window can close while you're waiting for your economics to line up. Um, so in almost every scenario, you have to raise capital in SaaS. So. so so what was your order of operations? Was it get a founding team and then start building product? Yeah. And how did you know, first of all, why did you not take, or did you try to take money right away? And, and secondly, did you, how do you know when the product is good enough to like start? So we did not intend to raise money right away. Okay. Um, because it's not- Wait, Sorry, when did you actually start Clash? Like We, as a founding team, we all kind of shook hands on doing this thing, uh, December of 2015. Okay. So just so over a, year, a little, year bit, and a little half over ago. a year ago. Okay. And uh, the plan was so in my like you know despair of failed startup <laughs> land, I learned how to design uh, products. I was just like I'm, if I'm ever going to do this thing again, I want to be able to create my you know, like communicate the vision of what I see with an actual picture of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started designing the prototype. But again, so you're not the HR person. You're not the broker. You're designing product. Yeah. It's just uh, you can. It's just an exercise, right? Like mm-hmm. you look at all the products in the market, you listen to a bunch of art, uh, you know interviews with HR people, talk to HR people, like yeah. get outside and actually talk to your eventual customers, which we did. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, luckily, like this is not the first HR platform that's ever built, right? Right. Right. So we looked at the common features among those and say, hey, this, these are pretty safe bets to build these things. Uh, and then we go out and and confirm it with customers. So before we even wrote a line of code. We had a, a nice looking Envision prototype that mm-hmm. a lot of people think is actually software. It's, mm-hmm. it's great, uh, the prototypes are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we bring it to customers and say, would you use this? Like, can we sell you this product? It's gonna be ready really soon, I promise. And uh, we got really great feedback on it. Was that, Did that actually work? Because I mean, a lot of people will say, yeah, yeah, I totally use it. Then you give it to them, they're like, you know, it's kind of the weather. Yeah, it worked. It worked. It works. I mean, it's a free product as well, so it helps. But um, sometimes it, with free products, the that the value, like if, if you invest a lot of money, you gotta pay attention to it, yeah. it's free. Yeah. Did, have you found that or? Well, we actually signed some of those brokerage contracts in the early days, because okay. again, my co-founder was a broker, so we could just do it, right? Yeah. Um, so we signed over some of their brokerage business just to kind of lock them in. I think to your point, you can't just say, would you use it to your friend? And they're like, for sure, I would totally support this. And then they don't. Um, I think if, if it's a paid software service, you gotta get them to sign a contract. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, give me your credit card. Exactly. It'll be ready soon, I'll start charging you then, right? Otherwise it's not real. But but uh, going back to what you're saying, so you sign up, you know, Rob's, you know, dry cleaning shop, yeah. I've got 15 employees. You're like, yeah, yeah, switch over your benefits. Yeah, okay, whatever, it's a good, better deal, sure, great. I get extra haircuts, fantastic. Uh, that doesn't mean they're gonna use the software, Yeah. right? Like. You can you can either get them in with the software platform as the hook, yep. and then they're like, "Wow, this is amazing!" And I can do benefits, or you get them with the hook of benefits, and and I can administer my HR that yep. way. If you've got you know the hammer, the your your co-founder who sells benefits and is either switching people over or setting up new businesses, who's to say they'll use your software? Doesn't matter. They give us their benefits, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. That's the, the whole the whole exercise at the end of the day. Yes. I mean, we want to create lots of value for our customers, and we believe in the HR platform, but it's a mechanism essentially at the end of the day to get benefits. No, I, I get uh, that. I get that. So, uh, whichever you know part they see value in, that's great for us. And we, if we know we can acquire customers using this bundle of services, then that's a good indication. And it wasn't just one or two. You know, it was like ten or twelve. Uh, and we talked to larger companies. We talked to mid-sized ones just to get a 
a sense of this whole market. Like, where yeah. do we really fit in? Yeah. It's not just dry cleaners. We talk to, you know, a mutual fund company that has 150 employees. We talk to a media company that has 3,000 employees. Right. And even some of the, the large ones were looking at our prototype saying, this is better than what we have, <laughs> yeah. but we can't use it because like it's not real yet. And, you know, we have this other thing that makes it complicated. Right. But to have that feedback from, you know, sophisticated HR people that we actually kind of nailed this thing at an early stage, that was a lot of a huge vote of confidence. How did you know, you know, if, if it is a medium, larger medium sized company, they're like, it integrates with ADP. Also, it integrates with our, you know, time tracking system that yeah. we used for punching in and punching out. Like, you could, how do you know you're like, N that's enough. I don't need to integrate with that stuff. All I need is the, like, when do you know to stop building bits to your product to go to market? That's something we wrestle with every day, right? <laughs> um, we have a product in the market, but mm -hmm. there's infinite things we could build to add on. How did you know you were ready? Like ready to put, say, this is the thing that I'm going to start signing up. You've done the Envision prototype. Yeah. You then build it. How do you know where you draw the line around the thing where you're like, this is the MVP? Not integration, not, you know, something more than just signing in and uploading an Excel spreadsheet. I think it's ready when, um, when a customer is ready to use it. And we shifted to customers early. Okay. It was like... It was early when when our first customers started using it, um, and I actually it actually stressed me out a bit because like yeah. it didn't look great and it was kind of buggy and it was manual. Um, but the fact that they were interested enough to use it at that point and they stuck with it, like none of those customers have left. What was the sticky bit that you? Is there one bit that you're like they just seem to really like? Bleh. It's different for each company, which okay. is weird. And okay. uh, you know, some for some people it's time off tracking. It's a huge pain for them, and uh, and that's the most interactive part of the app between the employees and the the HR admins. Mm. Some of it's if some of them it's reporting. They have a demanding CEO who always wants like, you know, HR reports and like stuff like that. So that really solves a pain point for them. Uh, for other, it's onboarding. So if you're hiring a lot of employees all the time, you've got lots of turnover, maybe lots of contractors. Um, that solves that pain point. So we, it's different modules for different people, which in a way makes it a bit hard to hard to, to to build out your product roadmap. That's why I'm, that's why I'm like, how do you know what to, because these are different people telling yeah. you to build different things. And you're like, oh, we should build time tracking. Yeah. Oh, we should build reporting. Let's do custom reports. Anybody could build any custom yeah. report ever. Well, that's a whole business in and of yeah. itself. And we have customers that are, are current customers that are like, please build this feature. I really want it. We have people who have had a demo and are ready to sign that are ready to pay that will do so when they get this feature. Mm -hmm. And then we have features that will open up new markets and growth channels for us. Right. So how do you balance those three things? And um, I think it's that's that's a tough thing to figure out. No, 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 um, that's my question to you. How do yeah. you balance? How do you balance this? How do we balance it? Um, is it just you like have as, a as list? A, as a startup, growth is the most important thing for us, okay. So, which is an obvious thing to say. Mm -hmm. And I think we're prioritizing features that will enable us to grow the fastest and the best and have the best carved out position in the market. Right. So sometimes you have to say to your current loyal customers that this feature you want isn't coming for a few quarters. Right. Um, and uh, that's that's often the tra this trade off as a startup you have to make. Yeah. As long as you're not, you know, you can't make your customers angry or disappoint them because sure. they are your biggest advocates. So, mm -hmm. on the other hand, you really want to focus on them and provide them with lots of love. So, uh, we seesaw back and forth, right? We, yeah, yeah, we yeah. try and do a little bit of both. Right. Um, but for those features that we think will be defining features for like the future of our company, the ability to secure partnerships, the ability to enter new markets, those are pretty important. Fair and enough. I think as a, 
a company like us where we're an HR platform right now and we have this hook with benefits and it's working out really well. But we need more advantages. We need to like really, really be like separated from the market and really carve out a um, a competitive mode. So well, that so that brings up a really interesting question. You know, we had a Humi on, I guess, five or six or ten episodes ago. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are smelling um, that there's a lot of opportunity here. How do you? Um, what are your barriers to entry for others? Like, how do you? Is it move fast and build a huge customer base? Is it use money like Uber does, use money as a weapon? Like, how are you trying to get ahead of? And also, you've got incumbents, I'm sure, like Sun Life, Great West Life. They're also like yeah. scratch, scratch, scratch. There's something going on here, and I yeah. don't want to be frozen out of it. Yeah, so we love it when the incumbents want to get involved because yeah. they're our suppliers. Right. We sell their products. Yep. Uh, they love it if we can come up with a better way to sell their products. Right. So we're but they also have to be careful about pissing off they're their current brokers, channel. right? The current channel. Yeah. So that's been uh, that's been a bit of a challenge in those in those talks. Um, but I think we found out a way to kind of do both. Okay. Um, so uh, finding a way, yes, to keep that to allow insurers to participate in, in the new distribution channel for their product without cutting off their own arm mm -hmm. um, with their current broker channel has been something we spent a lot of time on. Right. Um, yeah, I forget the, the origin of the question. So okay, no, it's like uh, the, the competition. You, you like, have yeah. a, then there are other quote, like startups who yeah. are like, this is an opportunity. I see yeah. it in America. I'll bring it to Canada. Go. Yeah. Yeah. So, How do you... Uh, you know, we've raised capital yeah. and a good amount of capital from a strategic partner. Right. Um, so for us, that's a really nice um, advantage for us in the market, mm -hmm. which is um, we have lots of close contacts with all the insurance companies to the brokerage channel. Um, we have... Uh, an enhanced ability to actually work with the insurers to move this forward. We have help, you know, pushing regulation forward. All those things that can can suit us really well. Mm -hmm. um, so as far as new entrants coming in the market, they're going to have to compete with us. Right. A well-funded startup with their st a strategic partner and the right team to do it. Right. Uh, I think Humi's done a great job uh, in terms of their, you know, they've done so without capital so far, right. as far as as far as I know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they're doing great. And if someone else wants to come in the market, like. You need competitors to to build an amazing market, and right. the more people out in the market talking about this thing, like benefits should be managed with technology. Right. Um, <laughs> we we hope to build the leading brand and the you know the leading company in the space. So the more people talking about that, the more people are going to gravitate to our service. So that's uh, a great segue uh, to my next question, which was uh, you've been in the news lately because you just announced yep. uh, a decent raise from. Do you want to do you want to talk about that? Yeah, why, so, why why them? So why we, that amount of money? We raised, not more, not less. Uh, we raised money early in our life uh, cycle from from Diagram, which is a new venture launch pad. It's not a venture fund. It's a bit of a, a different structure uh, that is uh, investing money mostly from Power Financial, but also from 50 really well-known uh, angel investors, uh, you know, sophisticated investors, past entrepreneurs, et cetera. Um, so it's an amazing partner for us because you said it's not a venture fund in, in in that their returns expectations time horizon what's different about what they expect from you uh, it's just different in the structure so um, I, I'm not going to get too far into it but um, there is diagram doesn't earn carried interest it's a it's a bit of a different uh, it's a different thing so I think legally we can't just say that it's a, ve a venture a VC fund when it's actually a bit of a different structure so so but are there expectations similar to a venture capitalist I want a 10x return over a no certain... no th those expectations are certainly the same <laughs> right uh, so the structure <laughs> is different but the expectations yes. and the time horizons are the same as a venture exactly. capitalist so so diagram instead of like a VC which makes maybe 
depends on the fund, but many, many bets, diversified portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, Diagram is making a small number of large bets. Right. And they're in markets where they think uh, that given their you know connections with the power financial ecosystem, so Great West Life, Investors Group, et cetera, mm -hmm. they can actually carve out advantages to help these companies earn you know alpha or like yeah uh, kind of like lock in a return and, and really guarantee that these startups are going to do well yeah and by guarantee like it's not a guarantee but, no but um, you, you can really you can forward. really add advantages that give them an unfair unfair advantage in their market and your round was not an insignificant amount for a Canadian company yeah right it was like 300 million dollars no, I'm just kidding <laughs> yeah. it's like five million yeah five million dollars um, why that specific amount of money why not 10 million why not two million so the idea is that that amount of money is the right amount for us to get a product in the market, um, validate growth channels, start to invest in some of those growth channels, and get us started to the point where we have a few million in revenue, we have you know a growth curve, we can say that we can raise 10 or $15 million and invest it responsibly in this market and earn a return. Right. I think that's the ultimate goal. Uh, we don't have to raise more money if right. we don't want to. Right. Uh, I don't know what the capital market or the if the window for capital is going to be open at that point, but the idea is for us is to it, five million is the right amount for us to scale up and build a meaningful company that is then ready for a a large Series A or I think it would be a Series A at that point. So. Right, right. So how do you know like uh, do you in your mind the allocation of that is it is it uh, pro somewhat product building but mostly channel building like how do you it's both yeah yeah. Yeah, we, it's it's uh, you know it's building the right team, it's building the right product, it's identifying the right great growth channels, um, to to then build a meaningfully large company. Like we're not when you raise venture capital, you are it's an obligation, right? It's an obligation to return many times more than that. That's yeah. the idea. Yeah. So um, the idea is that we're going to build a very large company and not stop with HR and benefits. We're going to continue to build, and whether that's expanding into new markets or doubling down on this market and with more, more verticals, and, yeah. uh, we're trying to figure that out kind of as we go. But um, it's we have a chance to build a really big company here. So how, how does it how does it differ? Like when you get a, a straight up venture capitalist versus a, a strategic investor, mm -hmm. how does that uh, change things? Do you think? I mean, this is your first yeah. major investment. Yeah rather than angel, so it's hard for you to juxtapose. But uh, I've noticed a trend these days where people aren't just going for venture capital. They're actually getting a lot more strategic investments. Mm -hmm. How does that change, do you think, um, your mentality as an entrepreneur, or does it? For us, we just wanted the best outcome. You know, as three founders, when we raised this round, um, we looked at, let's say that we had equal terms mm -hmm. from a VC investor and from Diagram and Power Financial. Mm -hmm. um, the VC investor comes with a great network and all sorts of great experience and like VCs are awesome. Mm -hmm. But Power offered a lot of those same things, but with access to, you know, all of these awesome advantages that could help to shape our company and really like carve out a moat. Mm -hmm. around us uh, next to our competitors. So for us, it's, it was a no-brainer. Like, so it's, it's as simple as smart money, quote-unquote, yeah. right? These, this is the right yeah. money to be taking because it helps you further your business, not just from a capital perspective, but yeah. from a relationship. And they have a long-term investment horizon. It's, they have, it's a, kind of an evergreen type fund. Um, so you know, just it's, it's good alignment with us as founders who want to build like a long-term business. Um, we, we, it's not a VC fund who has to you know, sell it because their funds wind, uh, funds coming to the end of its life cycle yeah, yeah, yeah. or these weird um, artificial constraints that are from how they raise exactly. their money and how they have to. Exactly. That, that's their that's their problem in a sense when that happens. It's right. not to do with the company. So we wanted a partner that was going to be very aligned over the long term, uh, which sounds like a cliche, but that's actually true. Um, I think in terms of strategic money, there's just there's a, there are a lot more um, companies that are 
creating their own VC funds, like especially in the insure tech and fintech space, like a lot of banks and insurance companies are starting to carve out and like participate in venture investing because they've seen the power of it. Right. So I think part of more entrepreneurs taking it is because more money is just available. Right. It used to be only VCs, but now True. there are way more options. A lot of really bad, silly money available as well, <laughs> from what I can tell. See, it seems so. So yeah. you could make really bad decisions too, you, you right? You can, for sure. <laughs> but we, we saw what Power Financial did with some of the other companies like Wellsimple and with uh, Borrowell and... Both on the show, yeah. And Yeah, it's great, so, re- representing the show. Um, so it, we, weren't, we weren't really scared of that. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. You know, we talked to lots of people that had dealt with them, and everyone was like, "These guys are stars." Is that that's what you did? You did the research, the oh, yeah. due diligence, to be like, are, "Are these actually good investors? Are they yeah. good partners to be with?" And, Absolutely. Yeah. Um, which is hard as an as a, an entrepreneur because like getting a, getting a, uh, an investment deal is this huge milestone, right? Right. Um, and it's well, it's celebrated and it's exciting, and mm-hmm. for us to kind of step back and go, "Hey, is this the right decision?" is really hard. Right. Well, I think it's. Do you think it's? Uh, um, should, it's overly celebrated. I mean, you've just taken a lot of money. You owe somebody a lot of money. <laughs> we, we, right? we now owe people money. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's, you yeah. know, I think it, on the one hand, it validates where you're going. Yeah. On the other hand, it's not free money. It's not free money. Um, I, I think it's overly celebrated from the perspective that, um, you know, founders look at it as a sign of success. Mm-hmm. And people say, like, we did a, a, a funding announcement in the press. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, everyone's interested in us. Mm-hmm. And they weren't before, but in the business, nothing has changed, like the day before to that day. Yes. Um, so it's it's this weird thing. Um, it's maybe over-celebrated, but it's, it's a tool in our toolkit to build an awesome company. And it's necessary. Like I said, in a SaaS company, like, you have to do it. Um, it's a sign that, you know, investors see a lot of pitches. And if they choose yours to invest in, that means something. And mm-hmm. I, I think as a founder, it is worth celebrating. Yeah. It means that you're doing a bunch of things right and you have the opportunity to do even more things right. Um, it comes with an, an obligation or with you know expectations and some challenges. But overall, like it's, um, I think it's worth celebrating. So I'll go a little bit contrary into the contrarian opinion that yeah. it's not worth celebrating. <laughs> like it is. It's awesome. No, no. I yeah. just wanted to unpack it a bit more. So yeah. in, the, in the last minute or two that we have, you... You've you've been bitten once, yeah. uh, and now you seem to be moving in the right direction. This company seems to have the right fundamentals, and yeah. there's a, you know people who are aligning with you. Um, what do you what lesson do you keep in the back of your head from that first uh, startup uh, as you move into this one and as you are becoming more successful? Is there something that you keep in the back of your mind that keeps coming back to you as you're you're like we're gonna make it? We just got millions of dollars. Oh my god, it's a thing, or is it just like? You know, you don't even you don't even reflect on that because it's just. Uh, I think not fruitful. I mean, I've learned a lot of lessons, and I have like an Evernote file of like anecdotes <laughs> <laughs> that I track for myself. But for your book, uh, for, for, yeah, for my memoirs, yes, one day, yes, exactly, of course. Uh, but the one I think that is the most useful is, and especially as it relates to your question, is you just don't get too high or too low. Like going through the highs of like I just quit my job, I'm going to be you know the next Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, to going, oh my God, I made some terrible decisions and I've lost people money. Um, to back up to starting a new thing, it's really hard to hurt my feelings now. Like, how do you stop that? Because I mean, these are emotions. It's rationally, yeah. it makes a lot of sense, but these are emotions. It's just the experience of being through them. You, know, you before. develop a You're like, hey, I've felt this, you know, excitement in my chest before, and last time I actually know what happened after. Right. Which is, it turned out to be the excitement is a little bit over overblown. Right. There's. Right. You just, it's easier to stay level the more swings you go through. Um, so never having gone through those swings, I wasn't prepared for it. Got it. Now I am. 
So you have and, to become a sociopath, I think, is the lesson <laughs> yeah. that we've taken from the show. Cool. Well, uh, <laughs> hopefully... That, that, that's a great note to leave yeah. off. Yeah. Kill everyone so you know. Sociopathy is in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm really sorry to say we're out of time. Uh, I, it is a weird note to end on. Yeah. So we're going to have to have you back. All right. Uh, but um, for those who want to check out Collage, where do they go? They can go to uh, collage.co. Uh, that is our website. It's C-O-L-L-A-G-E dot C-O. C-O-L-L-A-G-E dot C-O. Yes. That's our website. Um, cool. It's really beautiful. We've got a great designer. So check it out. <laughs> Love to hear your feedback. That's great. Yeah. Well, well, thank you very much for coming on the show, Elijah. Th- appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks to Nick Kuhn for producing the show. Thanks to TWG for sponsoring us. Stay tuned next week for a new episode. And thanks for tuning in, everybody.